from Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in 90 Degrees in October, Minneapolis. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark McCroy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are polymorphism and save scumming. So if everyone's ready, let's start. Y'all, I have a confession. Okay. Oh, I was totally about to step over Ellen's part where she says, I'm Ellen Burns Johnson. I make nights games. I was going to say, I'm Stephen McGregor. But she's Ellen Burns Johnson. I know. <laughs> I've done, this is what, over 300 episodes and I almost forgot how to do the intro. <laughs> feel real bad. We could mix it up one week and I could be like, I'm Stephen McGregor and I make nice games. And you could be like, I'm Ellen Burns Johnson. And Mark, well, then we'd have to just mix it up even more. Yeah. I would shut that down immediately. <laughs> yeah. You can be... Steven. Have some respect for the listener. <laughs> you can be. That's why I had to confess because this uh-huh. was such a serious. <laughs> even almost. even the thought of it. Yes. Would have been bad. Yeah. Uh, how how will you atone? Uh, um. Uh. By continuing the meta. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're. I mean, we're struggling to make this interesting because yep. we've been recording a lot of episodes lately. Yeah. Because this uh, calendar math has been crazy. We've been shifting our recording dates. Mm-hmm. So we recorded like a ton of episodes in like a three week span. Yes. Um, which is not normal for us. And so we're running out of like fun things to talk about at the top of the show. <laughs> yeah. But um, a couple weeks ago, we, uh, Ellen, um, for listeners, uh, you talked about uh, uh, Noodle, this platform that you've been working on mm-hmm. uh, at work. And um, you wanted to sort of remind us uh, when it's coming out because yeah. it's coming out soon, right? So we've done a soft launch with a few different clients. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think it's officially coming out on October 10th for oh, all the cool. subscribers to the platform. So that'll be a good while ago when, by the time you hear this. Yeah. 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 And we can – there's a demo game out there. We can – it's all about noodles. It's a noodle game about noodles. And so we can link it in the show notes and mm-hmm. you can go play a demo game if you want. But yeah. yeah. So that's that's been exciting. Yeah. That's really cool. Cool announcements you, you know you gotta you gotta when you have a release you gotta celebrate it it's important <laughs> that's true and i feel celebrate. like when you get to the point when the release comes out you're like i'm sick of this game i don't want to talk about it anymore <laughs> and i understand <laughs> that instinct but you did just do a really cool thing i guess so yeah well i think it's it's a little different right because it's like it's not like public right, it's, it's not, not a like shipping a, commercial title sure. it's not a commercial title exactly it's it's another game that we're adding to an existing platform mm-hmm of game templates really that people can write their own content into Mm -hmm. so you know like you can jeopardy is one of the games we've got on that platform yeah we are apparently the only company officially licensed yeah by sony to do jeopardy for educational purposes Mm. um but like you can write in a bunch of different questions in jeopardy and you're still playing jeopardy Yeah. yeah okay when you started on this show you were working on that i remember yeah well it that was Good that, while ago now. A good while, yeah, years ago. Um, and they've continued to build out that that specific game, so mm-hmm. it's got a lot more capabilities now. It's not just like a single yeah. player. You know, it's yeah. They've they've maintained that license and still done a lot of you know. It's a platform. <laughs> There's always development work. Yeah, the customers are different, but it, your company has a similar profile to games that that build out these portfolios of of uh, of service games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of interesting the parallels, but also the content is totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been an interesting design challenge is how yeah. do you make a game that involves word puzzles when you don't know what the words are going to be? Yeah. 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 Fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. And then next week I'm going to go to Toronto to the Serious Play Conference. Oh, you've been to that a few times. You can visit yeah. Bloor Station. I am going to. That's the <laughs> All plan. Right. I am planning Are you going to make music too? I, you know, I feel like I should. It should be like a tradition. If you yeah. go to Tur- Toronto, you have to make a song. I'm never going to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try. I'll see what I, I mean, do. of all of us, you are the one who has the instrument that would sound best on a subway platform. That's true. <laughs> which is, wait, which instrument? Bass clarinet. Yeah, that would sound so good. Right? Yeah. Okay. Got to traveling with a bass clarinet, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't mean, want to do that. Probably better than traveling with a trombone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I travel with a 25 key keyboard and it was a lot. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring a ukulele. Nice. Ooh, I'll do that. Fine. You don't actually have to. It was just she my... does. You made me do it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. Okay, never mind. Ellen's doing it too. I got to do it. All I'm right. Like, it's you know, it's on the recording. What uh, are we gonna do? All yeah. right, listeners, stay tuned. We're gonna play that song. Oh boy. Back. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, but until then, we got stuff to talk about. Yes. Uh, my topic this week is polymorphism. 
Um, Ellen, you get really excited about the fun 10 cent word. What does it mean? Um, so, I mean, you can break it apart. It's uh, uh, an object that can take many forms. Ah. Um, Odo. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He is a polymorph, correct. <laughs> um, and it's a content and object oriented programming. It's one of the four main things. Mm. So, uh, lots of listeners are probably like, uh, uh, duh. But a lot of uh, other programmers, especially self taught programmers, hey. who like know everything everybody else knows, yeah. to be clear, yeah. don't always know these the names of these things, it's right? But me. the four kind of big pillars of object oriented programming are inheritance, abstraction, encapsulation, and polymorphism. Okay. And I'm going to talk about polymorphism uh, because. I like to drill down to these things, but also we got some feedback recently on the feedback form that said, hey, you should do some more programming topics. So I'm kind of making that my mission for the next couple of episodes where I'm picking topics. Cool. Um, yeah. Started last time with the uh, uh, composition over inheritance, and I'm going to stick to it as long as I can stick to it. But mm-hmm. um, sometimes you need a break from that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right now we're in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing about polymorphism is that it's something you do if you uh, work in a, a, a modern high-level programming language, and you probably understand um, without having being told a lot of the concepts around it. Um, but I think it's helpful to have it sort of spelled out. So um, there's basically two types of polymorphism uh, in programming, uh, dynamic polymorphism and static polymorphism. Now, when you look up definitions of these sorts of things, you'll actually find these are two different tools in your programming language. It's actually um, quite simple uh, uh, at first. Um, Conceptually, it's deeper than that. But generally, if you're looking for the definition of these things and how you express them in, in most programming languages, you'll find these specific examples. Yeah. So dynamic polymorphism uh, is dynamic at runtime. So an object that can be different objects at runtime. So you might already know what this is, which is you have a, a parent class, you know, that is, uh, you know, um, parent.doAction. It's a, it's a, a method you're going to call on this object. Mm-hmm. But let's say it's an abstract class. You don't call any of these parents in your game. You have different children classes that are different types of this parent. Mm-hmm. They all they all uh, implement a their own do action method, and they all have different code. Yeah. And let's say okay, great. That's totally that's how inheritance works. At runtime, you have you create an object mm-hmm. uh, that you'd say is a parent, a, a type parent. Um, I'm being very abstract with this. Yeah. Um, but you give it a value that is a new child, right? Okay, so yeah. the compiler only has it has space in its memory for I say the compiler, the runtime at, at that moment has is storing in its memory an object that it thinks is of type parent, but what's actually in there is type child. Mm. Um, and so that means that when you're referencing it later on, you can only call things that are defined in the parent. Oh sure, right? okay. because because yeah. you've you've assigned it that you've assigned it a pointer that points to a you know for a, a, a statically typed language. Yeah. Now sometimes you want to cast, or sometimes you want to a, a preemptively declare it as the child type, so you can get access to the child's abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times you don't, and the reason you don't want to do that is because the object is polymorphic, the parent object. It can be many different things. So when you call this new object you've created, dot do action. The compiler has no idea what method's going to run. Yeah. The runtime then picks. And so that is oh. con- that's conceptually. So mm. you've all done this, right? Yeah. This, is, this makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. But when you think about it in those terms, that what's actually happening is that you're running a, a you're you're telling the the runtime when you put the when you build your 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 game, mm-hmm. um the compiler has no idea what code is going to run yeah. when that when that method is called. It only it makes enough checks to know that that's a a valid uh, method. Right. Um, but then at runtime, it, it calls that associated with the child. Yeah. Okay. So that's sort of a long winded way to say something. You pretty much already know how this works. And it's a useful way of thinking about games because, um, when you're, when you're making games as opposed to other types of applications Mm. there, I mean, this is useful in all types of, uh, uh, application design. Yeah. But a lot of times the objects in object oriented programming are physical objects in games. One of the things you have to unlearn as you learn game programming is that objects aren't always physical objects. Yes. It takes a little while sometimes. Yeah, I haven't learned that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're like stuck really deep in an engine, mm. which has its own sort of language of and, and workflows. Um, if you're just coding just straight software yeah. um, and you're making games, sometimes you say, well, okay, this object is enemy, this object is player, but sometimes this object is... Uh, you know, like enemy intention or, uh, you know, or player personality, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, and it isn't always, you know, there's also hats and weapons and, you know, right, uh, right, right. whatever. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of times if to sort of break free of that, 
once you've broken free of that, it's still actually quite useful in terms of polymorphic uh, design. To It's very useful when thinking uh, structurally about your game in terms of physical objects. It's particularly a useful metaphor in that. It's also useful everywhere else, but my point is, is that it really comes in handy there because you're going to have um, you know, a, a, a certain base enemy class or a, a base vehicle class or something. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have... Um, you know, uh, uh, weapons or uh, scenarios or levels or tracks or any of the things that those objects live in. And you're going to want to have um, uh, interfaces which don't care what type of thing it is. Yeah. yeah. Just that it's of the, of a particular class of type. Yeah. Class being used in the more clinical sense. Yeah. Um, and so that is extremely handy when you say like car go or enemy swing or enemy attack rather mm-hmm. in more abstracted situations mm-hmm. to let the, that object decide for itself what that means rather than the calling yeah. uh, uh, object, right? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I came to a realization. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> I think, well, because I think there's a function in Unity where, like, you can turn a prefab into another prefab or something. Uh-huh. I've never really used it because I don't. <laughs> Going into the YAML code and wrecking everything. Yeah. Sorry, I just, I've been dealing with that this week. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Um, and, and so I was like thinking about it with respect to like, well, and you brought up interfaces too. Like I use interfaces a decent amount. Yeah. Um, um, and I guess like, I don't know the terms of, I know interfaces. Well, an interface is, is a way but... to force this. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a way to, to, yes. to say every one of these types of things mm-hmm. needs to implement something of this type. Yeah. And that's very much polymorph. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I guess, I, yeah, I'm trying to think about it in terms of relations of how I, how I've used coding in the past. Like, mm-hmm. when I've used this and not realized that that's the property I'm using. Yeah. But I'm kind of struggling to, uh, to, to fully understand, aside from the interfaces, when I've, like, really used this thing. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> at the moment. I'm sure I have. I just can't think of, like, instances that it made sense in. Yeah. Um, I think one thing... Part of it's like a way of thinking too, sure. right? Yeah, like that. That's a, this is defined as like this is literally how it works right. in a programming language in most high level languages. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it in terms of like uh, design thinking, yeah, because you can do this in other ways. You can have you can have events. So you can say I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, signal an event, and I'm gonna have a bunch of different objects listen for it. Yeah, and then what they do when they hear that signal is up to them. That's oh. essentially the same idea. Oh, like, it's, okay. It's just structurally a completely different way of doing it. Got it. But that's why I think it's interesting to think about these in terms of their abstract concepts. Mm-hmm. Even though when you look at these definitions online, they're like, this literal, type this in, and it's polymorphic. Yeah. Like, great, fine, true. But that isn't the end of the story, right? Sure. In terms of, yeah. like, object-oriented design. Um, and so I think it's useful, particularly the actual benefit of thinking of things this way is you can design the sort of caller structure, the what is asking what to do what, without having to worry about any of the implementation right away. Mm. So um, you can, you know, if you have a bunch of different enemy types, yeah. you can define a, a standard behavior, knowing full well that all of these things are going to implement their own behavior. Yeah. But you can keep working on the game before coming up. You can build your structure. How, yeah, how yeah. objects communicate with each other. Okay. You can define, essentially to use the term quickly, the interfaces between objects. Yeah. Right? Okay. Before we need to worry about the implementation of how they actually react to that. Yeah. You can have default behavior that then they all handle for now or no behavior and just leave it for later. Mm. And because it's object-oriented and you want to encapsulate these things to bleed into another one of the big four topics, you want those things to really not have to know what the other one's doing. Mm. So you mm-hmm. can design all this structure and all this communication and then never needing to know what's inside the implementation for each of the individual child classes because it's actually important that you don't know what those are yet, like in terms of how the program thinks. Yeah. Right? And so that actually can be very useful because it can keep your code tight and organized and less spaghetti and interdependent um, because you're only worrying about these these uh, points where they talk to each other. Okay. Um, there's sort of just, you know, a commander saying, hey, you know, object.doAction. And then they just step back. They don't care after that. Then the yeah. object is up. It's up to them to decide what that means. Right. And what okay. they do. Right. Okay. But that also means you have to think about it in terms of like design thinking. So um, you can say do do action. That's a really generic term, but you probably want something a little more specific than that so that you can in your mind, like if it's an enemy dot attack, you have eight different enemy types. You might find yourself just as it happens saying, well, when I get that signal, what I actually want to do, because what's actually happening is I'm responding in turn from the player's action. 
I'm not this this enemy doesn't attack. This enemy runs away. Yeah. So when I get this enemy dot attack, I'm gonna have them run away. Yeah. You can do that. Mm-hmm. But then you gotta start thinking about refactoring. About like, well, what is actually this command actually what actually is this method? Yeah. And and so it's this goes beyond the technical qualities of it. Okay. Right? And okay. so I think that's always gotta think of these things from both sides of the coin. Sure. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I was yeah, I, I guess I'm thinking of it like, okay, in an instance where like you're making a turn based RPG. Right. Um and you have actions. Well the the example you brought up, because I'm thinking of like sometimes a lot of times you want enemies to just attack the player because I don't know, they don't they're not much more complicated than that. But you might want to have an enemy that like shields an allied enemy. Yeah. Um instead of attacking. And so like instead of calling it an attack, you would be what was the word? Change the change the variable name to be um, action instead, right? Or response, yes, or, something. or response, or and something. And then you got to yeah. think like, well, all the other enemies attack when that happens. Mm-hmm. So, not, what am I doing here? Like, where does attack go in the sort of signal flow? Yeah. And so, you know, some of this, in the, and the player's not going to know the difference, right? Right. Um, but it can help you think about when you're doing what a lot of indie developers do, especially folks who design and program, is you do it all at the same time. Mm. And so, when you are doing it all at the same time, yeah. Um, these things can sort of evolve as you go. Yeah. Um, I think if you're given a, a design doc from a designer and you have to just have it implement it, maybe it matters a little bit less. Or maybe these questions will be answered for you yeah. a little bit better. Um, but of course, under the hood can work differently than how it works in the design document, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Gasp, how dare you? And there are, there's, there's exceptions, <laughs> right? So yeah. you, know, you, you might just say like, well, you know what? All the enemies are pretty simple. This is the one different one. Mm. It's okay if dot attack does something different. Yeah. Like, that's really just up to you. Sure. Um, I mean, I might, my teeth might chatter at that, but like, you know. Same. You, <laughs> <laughs> um, because so much of programming is, is like, is really just blueprinting. Yeah. Ra- rather than actual technical anything um, in a way that I think mm. people are slow to appreciate because you can have eight different ways of doing it. And then when you realize that this way of doing it, is a little slower for me for my design thinking, but it's plenty fast in execution. Yeah. That's that slowness in terms of your design of the next system is maybe a reason to scrap it and start over. Mm. Um, because workflows are really important when you're actually writing code. Yeah. Let the compiler do most of your optimization. Yeah. And then you later when you're finding things that need to right. <laughs> for performance yes. reasons. Yes. But after you're done with all the design stuff. Yeah, I, I find myself like optimizing ahead of time now and sometimes it's annoying to do yeah. that it's like, I don't need to do this now. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to I'll optimize insofar that it makes sense for the moment. Yeah. But like you just gotta know it's okay, you can go back and change your mind. You yeah. Go ahead and rewrite it. Yeah. And the more com- the more you think about in terms of a structural like a like a, a structural design mm-hmm. rather than this this is the, the inputs and outputs I need, the easier it will be for you to one, build new systems on top of it. Yes. Because you'll look at it and it's, this isn't even about commenting code. It's about like just recognizing how the systems work. Yeah. Then suddenly you change everything and it's all back and back back to front now because yeah. you've changed the way inputs and outputs work, but the design is similar and so you haven't lost your place. Yeah. Because it's just the uh, keep it the design thinking in your mind. Right. And then the implementation or the execution of your design thinking in your software. And polymorphism is a big part of that because it allows you to have I mean really just what it says on the tin. Something can be multiple things. Ooh, right? Okay, I just came up with another th- example okay. um, um, that I think I've been using at work. Um, so in the past, we had like three different ways to display text, and they were all using three different scripts. That's too it, many ways. It was obnoxious. Yes, agreed. <laughs> um, but they needed different formats because like you, the the text needs to go with different images and UI and stuff. It's too ways. many ways, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Don't apologize. <laughs> Just do better. <laughs> um, but so I changed that system so that like we the the the, the presentation of the text is different, mm-hmm. but the text is generated outside of that. So like I just like figure out what text we're using like ink and stuff. Yeah. Um, we use I figure out what text it's supposed to be, and then we're like, um, this is the type of uh, uh, way we want to display this text, and then we give the that in, that information and display it in that way instead of. Like saying, I want to make this thing, and then having three different ways with 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 which to read ink files. Ooh, you are separating the model from the view. Is what you're doing? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it, you're, the 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 model, which yeah. is the sort of brain. Uh huh. Is is sending inputs and outputs and doing logic. Right. Yes. And then the view is like, hey, 
here's the results of that logic. I will then now display it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the, the to the viewer or to yeah. the player. Yeah. And a lot of times that view logic gets kind of back, backs its way into the model. Mm-hmm. Again, these are all very abstract. This is a whole other different programming philosophy. Sure. Yeah. But um, but what you're describing is something that only needs to be different when it needs to be different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that fits straight into this topic pretty well. Yay! I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so how so how many ways now? Just one way. There's just one way. All right. It's the yeah. right number of ways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hate it when there's multiple ways because then you got to manage multiple ways. Yeah. yeah. And that's annoying because you're like, why does this bug exist? Yeah. But only in this particular way. Oh, it's because I made it three different ways. Right. And then, <laughs> but those three things need to actually be different. Yes. But only at the end of the last mile. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are we back to elegance? No. No. <laughs> okay. I mean, sort of. Kind of sounded like it. <laughs> <laughs> but different. Yeah. But yeah. the same. Yeah. So the other type of polymorphism is called static polymorphism. Okay. And I wanted to bring this up because it really dovetails sort of back into the point I already made, which mm. is that things are just, this is all just conceptual in the end. Okay. So static polymorphism, and so the static in it, as opposed to dynamic, mm-hmm. means at compile time. Ah. So you've probably done this as well. This is also basically what's called, at least the technical example that's always given as the one way this works, mm. is method overloading. Oh, so oh. so you got your do action and you feed it in a player object. Yeah, right. Um, or do action two or something, whatever. But you also have the same method, but you feed it an enemy object or yeah. you feed it a piece of data that's different. Well, the at compile time, the compiler just turns that into two different methods. Okay, and so and you actually write two different methods, yeah. like two different things. Yeah. The reason this is static and not dynamic is because the compiler it's just the same. It, it's it's a different method, but you call it the same thing. Mm. But as far as the compiler is concerned, it is a different method. This is like when you use override in front of a function, or something? no, no, no. The oh, override is the dynamic bit. Oh, this is when you have multiple methods with the same name in its in the same oh, class. Oh, I totally know what you're saying. Yeah, and but they, they accept like... different inputs. Yes, and therefore they have different bodies. Oh yeah, I right? do that all the time. Okay, yeah, and you'll and sometimes you'll occasionally get a, a little error in, in uh, when you're writing code. It'll say like, I can't tell the difference between these two methods yeah. because. You have not defined the the arguments well enough, right? And then you have to go in and make sure that you're defined so that so that the compiler can infer which method you're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The runtime knows that by that point. Once yeah. you do it at runtime, there's no dynamism. It's not polymorphic at runtime, yeah. But at compile time, it is. Okay. So the reason that that it's worth mentioning this is because this is really just for me a convenience of syntax. Yeah. Like there's no particular when you're writing this code. You also know which which one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Now it's a super big convenience to be able to reuse literally just the, the text you're typing out. Yeah. Um, if you change your mind about what you want to feed it, especially uh, um, design wise, you expect to get the similar things out of it, right? Mm-hmm. right? So you'll maybe create a new object and you feed it in a name, and then you you it returns a new object of the particular type. Yeah. But you can also have a a, a, a um, an initialization function. Uh, an identical one yeah. that if you feed it a um like a, a an id or a number mm-hmm. instead of a name then you can you can still get a new object out of it but it will create that object using that information rather than the name right yeah. um and so that's uh, a static polymorphism it's really handy when you're writing but it's not quite the same way in terms of that runtime yeah. but the point is is like all of this is just ways of thinking about designing your code yeah um you know the actual there are differences like dynamic polymorphism has a performance hit oh, at runtime sure. it's very minor it's not something i think most people need to worry about mm-hmm. uh, static polymorphism is at compile time so no big deal there right but it's just both of them le- are a part of this concept of a thing that you define not in the code but in your architecture your design of your systems can be multiple things yeah and these are two examples of tools that literally do that. But you can also think of this as a, as a philosophy when you're not using those particular tools. Um, just, you know, d- deciding how you structure things and how you kind of have the sort of mental map of how your, your application flows. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's all, just, it's all just things that are in your head in the end. Yeah. But when you look up this stuff online, it really is very technical. Like, this is exactly what it is. Right. And that is true, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to think about it in terms of because you're probably a lot of you are probably doing this already, right? Yeah, um, cool. But you just don't put a name to it. Just realized that uh, done in ways that I was using it, and I just didn't realize that I was doing that already. So yeah, yeah and you thing. and you can think about like how you want to build systems. Sometimes using the, these tools and sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do want to because sometimes there's there's one way to do a thing, right? Yeah. Or uh, one way you want to do a thing in this particular moment, and you find you're doing it multiple ways because you're not thinking about them as as having any relation, right? Um, how you, how you structure them, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So that's the basic definition of the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in the roundabout way that I tend to do these things. Um, but I think one of the, the, the arguments for this over like data oriented programming as opposed to the reason why this is important object oriented programming is because it really makes the case that an object is responsible for its data and its behavior. Yeah. Because um, a lot of times when you, you'll end up, I mean, how many times have you put like a static method inside of an object and then like a week later you're like why is it in this class yep right like yep. What's, what's it doing here mm-hmm. yeah right? a lot of times <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll get people who are really who love data-oriented programming yeah. or or you know ecs systems things like that and they'll be like no 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 all your data all your values all, all your all your stored variables those should exist by themselves mm-hmm. and all the behavior all the logic should be separate from those things that's 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 smarter. That's that's more that's more evolved thinking, right? Yeah. I mean, you can tell I'm kind of already sort of teasing it. <laughs> that is a really good way to make certain things, yeah, right? Yeah. And in fact, you you're not always necessarily need to do it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But the argument, because I think it's I think people who have been using object-oriented programming for years like it, enjoy it. It's natural to them. Mm-hmm. They don't. They're not really armed with an argument as to why that's why you shouldn't just change that to a data-oriented system except for the fact that you don't know how to do that, yeah. <laughs> right? Which is usually, most, for most of us, that's our big reason. Mm-hmm. But the reason is is that you want to, you your objects can be responsible for its data and its behavior. Okay. And polymorphism gives you a great example of why that's powerful. Yeah. Is is that you want the object to, when it's created, you you understand how it works. And when it's a, of a different type of the same parent, mm-hmm. you can still understand it shares interfaces, it shares you know a methods the object itself is responsible for how it behaves yeah. uh, when you run uh, logic into it and get uh, you know things out of it. Yeah. And um, so I, th- I think that's a really strong argument and you don't hear it a lot necessarily. Yeah. Um, because again, it's not something you put your, wrap your mind around that often. That's definitely how I try to structure my code now mm-hmm. I think about it. And I definitely am one of those people that doesn't know how to make a data-oriented code. Um, I barely know how object-oriented code even looks so <laughs> i'm disadvantaged i expose in that yeah. way but like yeah i'm struggling to even imagine maybe that's a future topic but i'm struggling to even imagine when in games you would want to use data data oriented programming uh for parallel uh logic oh. you want to have lots of data but very few behaviors okay right you want to have you basically it's i mean data oriented programming is kind of like a bunch of for loops yeah you say like for everything in this list run this method from ah. some other you know what i mean yeah it's just it's not in the end that different but sure. it can have performance benefits uh, for mm. certain like large scale things okay that's why when you ever see unity's demos of like why they their their ecs systems which is data oriented uh, yeah. entity component systems yeah. you th- the way they demonstrate that to you is like thousands of physics objects mm-hmm. or hundreds of of hover cars in a cityscape yeah because the idea is you have many 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 of very similar types of things and you can get through that a lot quicker if all those objects don't have their own methods to call. Oh, sure. You, you know what I mean? Even because yeah. a lot of them are identical or whatever. That does make sense. Um, so, so there's going to definitely ways to do that. And if you're working with you know a system that has many actors in a scene in scenes, then you might want to data orient a lot of your uh, 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 objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and but one of the reasons why you would want to have it object oriented is to benefit from the polymorphic abilities of of of, of objects. Yeah. yeah. And but that puts the onus on you to to really like audit your your classes to say mm. why are these methods on this and not on something else? Yeah. Especially working in Unity and you and and you putting all these different scripts on a game object. Yeah. How what um how do you distribute the activities of that game object across these different scripts? Yeah. Why is it in this one and not that one? Yeah. Um. I have this one and then there's a child object and that has its own a script on it that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Where does you know what methods go into each of those things? Um, Unity doesn't make it easy because yeah. it kind of splits things up a little bit more than you probably want to in an yeah. object-oriented system. Um, but it's not fully an entity component system either. Blah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've had this conversation. Yeah. See above. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. But really think about like deciding because one of the other things about object-oriented programming is that things should have very few responsibilities. Yeah. The, you, uh, an object should. Basically, now in games that's tough because you have the player object. Yeah, but that's an argument to then say the player should be an umbrella object that holds many other objects that have very specific responsibilities and behaviors. Yeah, what you do is up to you. <laughs> you know, it's okay to have a three thousand line class. Yeah, like I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> I don't even. I'm not even going to say that's bad practice. Mm. Um, but it can be very beneficial to really think about why is this 
responsible for this? What does it have to do with the data that's stored on it? Why is it doing that this way? It, can it be implemented in multiple similar things? Um, and if this is just a unique method yeah. on a class that has that has many siblings and one parent, mm-hmm. why is this method here? What's different about this object that it needs its own method for this? Is this not something I'm going to need versions of in all the other ones? Yeah. Is this not something that can be its own uh, object that that this object is responsible for? So no right answers to any of these questions. But I think you want to think about these things because you are using these tools and you're not going to make better running software by thinking about it more uh, structurally, but you're going to probably enjoy yourself a little bit more. You're going to have a better handle on the work that you're doing yeah, and, and you're going to be able to work faster and you're going to be able to, and if you're the type of person who designs and programs, mm-hmm. you know, as you go, yeah. um, that you sort of, that that's part of your process of design as, as it is for me and for many others. Um, you're going to be more effective, more creative. Right. Well, also, I mean, if you come back to the code, you know, uh, I don't know, six months later, then <laughs> remember what you did. That's what I'm doing. Comment your code, Steven. <laughs> no. <laughs> Who did this to you? Oh, you did. Yeah. <laughs> Mark mentioned at the, at the beginning of his topic that we've been trying to do more programmer episodes, um, topics, um, because somebody had hoped that we would do that in a feedback form. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're looking for feedback like that in our feedback form. You can go to nicegames.club slash feedback to give us some insight as to how we're doing and what kind of topics you'd like to see us in the, see from us in the future. Yeah, you can tell us to do a thing and get this, folks. We'll, we'll do that thing. Yeah. Probably. I mean, it's it's a possibility. It's, mm-hmm. It has mm-hmm. happened before. That's a pretty open-ended statement, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to really correct it. I mean, you know, you can tell us what you'd like us to do next. And nice games that glove slash feedback. <laughs> <laughs> you tell us what to do. We'll do it. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> what have you signed us up for, Mark? <laughs> Okay, Stephen. Yes. What is save scumming? I'm glad you asked, Ellen, because this is my topic. Uh, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Whoa. No, uh, save scumming is like a colloquial term. I don't even know if I'm using that word correctly. Um, where you basically like um, you you save and you want to make sure that you get the result that you want. So, like an in instance, oh. uh, for instance, like if you're fighting a boss and you keep dying to this boss. Um, you keep saving, or you keep reloading your previous saves so that like you can get s- certain advantages against this boss or something like that. Like you know the boss exists now, so mm-hmm. you like position yourself better, um, or uh, and you reload the save so you can bring another character in or something like that. It's that kind of thing. Okay. There's I, I'm thinking about this now because like I've been playing Baldur's Gate three with some folks, mm-hmm. um, and well, actually this particular group we're not really saves coming, which is nice. But in other with other games that I've played with people. We like save a lot and reload old saves because like a roll didn't work the way we wanted to or something like that. So, um, Ellen, you've seen Groundhog's Day, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's basically that. It's yep. Yeah, that I should have just said that. <laughs> no, it's cool. I know what you mean. I just never, I had never heard of the term before. Oh, really? Yeah, no. Okay, yeah. Well, I think like the reason why it's called save scumming is because it has a bad rap, quote unquote. But I think everybody does it. Um, it's one of those things that like everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> like people consider it cheating but like everybody is like yeah this is the thing that we all do so huh. yeah it's kind of weird um it's also something that like mm. game developers have to think about like yeah how am i gonna just let people do it or should i have areas where you can't save right. or, or auto save in certain places that will then overwrite the save that you tried to get before that yep. after you've made an important choice yep there's a little bit of a struggle that's gone back and forth yeah Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know, there's there's yeah, there's a there's a back and forth between it, because like I think to some extent, depending on what you want from your game, you might want players to feel like they have enough freedom where they can do all of the things. And in such case, safe scumming or allowing it, I guess, I mean, not trying to combat it is a good thing because then like players can see all the things in one save. Um, But maybe they're spending, I don't know, they uh, spending too much time trying to do that. And it can theoretically ruin some of the enjoyment of the game theoretically and mm-hmm. it isn't it's 
It's not necess- It depends on every person. Um, but I guess in other instances, there might be situations where you want them to make a permanent decision, and this is the decision you want them to have for the rest of the game. Um, and in those instances, then you would want, then you would want to somehow permanently say, in this save, this character's dead or whatever. Um, so I don't know. It's it's back and forth. Hmm. I think a lot of I think a lot of players don't like it when like you've uh, lost characters. There's in, you know like um. Oh, what's the name of the Nintendo game? That's like a tactics game. Fire Emblem. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, like that game has permadeath. It's like notorious for having permadeath. They've like recently, um, pushed back against it and like have they have options to like not have permadeath be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like effectively, people would hate like losing a character in the middle of a fight and then um like bricking their save because quote unquote bricking their save because like they um lost one of the characters that they really enjoyed things like that um so i don't know it's like i find it really interesting because like i've been thinking about like how important choices could or should be in games Mm -hmm. um i would like i tend to lean towards having things just happen and you just dealing with the things that happened even if it's not necessarily the way you want it to be but i also recognize that not everybody wants that um but like maybe that's maybe then the game you're making is not the game for them right um, I don't know. It's a different kind of thing. So I, I guess I'm curious, like in I'm curious when uh from the, on the table when you've like used a form of same scumming and when you've wished you haven't. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a broad question. Uh definitely when I shot Rex the first time through Mass Effect One. Oh no, you shot him? <laughs> well you have this choice where like he, he like gets angry at you and he you know, you try to get him to calm down and he won't. Oh. Because he's Krogan. Uh-huh, yeah. And if you don't make the right decisions in the conversation, then, like, he, you basically have to, like, shoot him. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that wasn't going to happen. I love Rex. Yeah, yeah. So I, that did not stand. Okay. Um, so I just reloaded and did something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess, like, I can see the perspective in both, on both sides of it. Like, yeah. you know, if you, if you as a developer are thinking of choices within a game within a game's narrative especially and you want those choices to really have stakes yeah then you want those choices to stick on the other hand mm-hmm. like if the game allows you to do a thing <laughs> i feel like it's not like yeah it's the player having their own fun like oh yeah you know you're putting you you're creating like a you're creating a world for people to play in and you have an idea of how they, you know, how how people will play in it, but ultimately they're the ones that are the arbiters of their own fun. So like, let them do it. I guess. Sure. I don't know. That is, I think, increasingly the attitude of game makers um, is to just like, listen, we're not, we don't need to stress anybody out. Mm-hmm. It's just we don't need to advertise it as a feature, but let's just allow it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have a slightly different take, which is a lot of times these things are people save scum when. I mean, I think the common one is like before you, you know, try something difficult yeah. so you don't, you can, you can win. Yeah. That I'm like, mm, whatever. Like it's, it's just, it's more convenient than having to restart from further back. Yeah. 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 Like I got no problem with that. That's maybe the design should be a lot of games have, you know, really smart autosave locations to sort of does that for you. Yeah. Mm. And yep. so that's become less and less of a problem yeah, that's that true. players face in these days. A lot of it is about story games yeah. and about like, Oh, that was a surprise. Doesn't sit well with me. I'm gonna back up this bus, yeah, and do do it a different way. I think that robs the developer of the of the story they're trying to tell. Yeah. Yes, right. And like that's not the player's fault. The player can still do whatever they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're designing your game in such a way that a player will be motivated because it's such a bad outcome, but if you want them to live with the bad outcome, if you want that to be part of the experience of playing the game, the bad outcome should be appealing in some manner, mm-hmm. right? It it should be, and now that's easier said than done. But I think like this is another one of the things that that lines up with with my sort of pet theory about games is that the character that you're playing doesn't have to have the same emotions as the player. Yeah. yeah. And so you, I would love a game to have a surprise, sudden death that's avoidable, mm-hmm. but that the player is excited about. Like, why is that not? We have that in horror movies. Yeah, when when, when a a cool side character bites it and everyone <laughs> in the audience cheers, <laughs> like, like why can't we have that in video games? Yeah, right. And it's because I don't think we I don't think the imagination in our interactive media to sort of thread that needle. Mm. Mm. And so it's if you can still let players save scum, but you should. Be, but 
the more motivated they are to do it, then the less you're going to be able to deliver in your story. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's interesting because I feel like I wouldn't want to reward a player for making a potentially negative permanent choice. I'd rather it just be a thing and they just sat with that choice. Well, then the choice needs to not be negative. It it needs to be mm. equally compelling narratively. Yeah. It can be negative for the player character. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Or wait, for wait, the, wait. the state of the galaxy you're fighting well, for or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's what, I guess that's what the thing is, is like the framing of it is the player, like, yeah. I, don't, I think part of it is like, if you like kill some, an NPC in Skyrim, then you lose out, miss out on a quest yeah. down the line or something. Um, I, I would, I don't know how you encourage players to be okay with that, but I would like players to just be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know how you do that. Well, that's what my contention is. I think that's your attitude is the attitude that a lot of developers have, which is like, all right, well, let them do it. We're not going to get on their case about it. That's not nice. They won't like us for it. Yeah. Let's just cross our fingers and hope that they just go through it and and have a unique experience rather than getting the optimal path that everyone looked up on game facts (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Right. And I think that's just like, that's just, that's, that's hope and prayer and that's never going to work. Well, right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah. Like going back just for my one example here, that was the only time I did that in that game. Yeah, in sure. all of all three of the Mass Effect games, it was the only time I did that. You couldn't stand to never hear Shepard ever yeah, again. Exactly, <laughs> I needed to hear Shepard. And I, I, yep, yeah, I was like, Rex is going to be on my team, yeah. and this is the only. But I didn't do that in any other. Every other decision that I made, every other character I lost, stayed lost. Yeah. So I got to choose what was important to me, and what was important to me. Initially was I have got Rex, right? And then what was important to me afterwards was the story stands. Yeah. Well, that's that's an example of the of for you anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think I think for a lot of people, I think yeah. for Mass Effect two, a lot of people restarted that final mission, mm. but um, or they aced it right away uh, because they were like really effing careful and kind of drained some of their own fun out of it. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. I like got it right away, but it was kind of not worth the effort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but uh, for you. Uh, they did what I'm describing games should do, which mm-hmm. is to make that fun, right? Like that, or as fun as anything else, yeah, right? I, and not feel like you're being that you're like slowly losing off a perfect score. Sure, right? I, yeah, you know. yeah. I guess yep. that's what I'm arguing for too. Like, I want those decisions to be compelling. I just think that like people feel like they're missing out on stuff if they lose characters and stuff, and yeah, it, and it and it. And it saps the fun away from it. Well, because I think we definitely think we think of a lot of these narrative choices and these mm. sort of like paths. I, I know, like, this isn't really true. Yeah. That we th- always think about it as positive and negative. Yeah. But it really is the outcome most of the time on how these things work. Yeah. It's right. like is optimal, less optimal, the true ending or whatever. Right. Well, and yeah. then a lot of games have five equal endings, but then someone will suss out how it is. Or I mean, Mass Effect's a perfect example mm-hmm. where like. Interview after interview, they're all like, yeah, Paragon and Renegade. They're like, Renegade doesn't mean bad. It just means like independent and like, you know, and you're more likely to punch the reporter. But like sometimes that's what you got to do. And everyone was just like, no, I want to be a good guy. And like, and they didn't buy that explanation for what was interesting about it. I think when you're designing, I think, especially in a bigger system, Mm -hmm. it can be very easy to like start with that as a, as a lodestone. Like we're going to make these two choices equally interesting. But then when you write the choice. You can't help but make one good and one bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, okay, so Baldur's Gate 3, there's plenty of opportunities to just, like, randomly attack people and kill people and stuff. And not in a, like, well. (laughs) Not in a cool way? Yeah. And not in a cool way. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, nobody ever wants to make those decisions because they feel bad. And, like, I think part of it is, like, people, you you feel like you're missing out on content. Yeah. But, like, that is content. If somebody dies and, like, it changes up. Like how other people react to you and things like that. Yeah. That is in, that can be compelling. That can be interesting on its own. Mm-hmm. Well, in a that's, different way. That's and the it, problem with role playing games. Yeah. Is because a lot of times role playing games ask you, the player, to inhabit the character. Yes. And so the more it's you, I mean, as much as I harp on gamers in particular on this program, yeah, people are generally good people. Yeah. And when they play themselves, they don't want to be jerks. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be murderers. Right. They want to be heroes. Yeah. And the world gives them so many options to do so many interesting things. Yeah. But you're not going to do most of those things. Yeah. Because you're playing yourself. Right. And you're like you're you're not going to take as many risks as you would. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be mean, you're not going you're not going to you're yes. not going to play out the fantasy right. of of the, of maybe your character who's a rogue or a yeah. you know or like you know has a bad attitude or whatever. And I think the ways around that is to really separate the player from the character yeah. and you can have a scenario where 
if your player is, you know, casually kills people on their way to the bank or whatever, <laughs> uh, like then reward the player. Yeah. Right. Reward the player for the character doing things that are bad. Yeah. And, and, and punish them for doing things yeah, that, punish that, them a- that do that, that say, mm-hmm keep their hit points up or maintain their bank accounts yeah. or, you know, like the things you would n- normally be motivated by a player mm-hmm. lock off storylines to players who aren't taking risks or, or aren't doing bad things. Yeah. Um, that's how you can encourage them to do that. Right. Sort of yeah. Thing. Then it, it, you know, it encourages it forcing people to continue their role playing experience. Yeah. The so it's not always about making on. choices equally interesting because yeah. that can be kind of bland. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, divvy out the consequences. Yeah. Um, make, a player does this thing; it has certain good consequences, certain bad consequences. Mm-hmm. Have the have it all balance out, yes. But have these, you know, have, have the scales tipped in opposite yeah. directions. Well, right? yeah, and even in that, like that example is extreme. This guy going around killing people while walking to the bank, but like it could just be like you're a hero and you're really trying, but like you make a decision because in the moment you're selfish, or in the moment you didn't understand a thing, or in the moment you had a lapse in judgment. Like those are cool things too. Yeah, or not by cool, I mean like those are interesting, compelling things that can be something that like colors your character's narrative in a way that is cool and interesting um, right. that and you don't have to like save out of. So you made the optimal decision. Well, this is where it comes back to saves coming yeah. because one of the things we're doing in dream settler mm-hmm. is we're having many different cases that you receive. We're having them. There are multiple outcomes and some outcomes are better than others. Some are equal. And, but the key is that we're not giving the player a lot of tools to know if they got the best answer. Yeah. And so, if they want to save scum and try something else, go for it. Yeah. Then they're just, then they now know how it works all five ways. They're, they can then just pick one. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be, you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's, they're not given enough information to know which one's best. Yeah. And they never, will never get it. Right. And by the time they reach the end of the game, no matter what choices they make, they'll be missing on 30% of the content. Yeah. And so basically, mm-hmm. cause like my big push on this is I don't want to burden the player with the, the stress of getting it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if, if, but at the same time, you, you also don't want to stop the player from using all the tools in the tool belt. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want players to save because they're going out to dinner. Like, yeah. Oh there, yeah. There's no way for you as a developer to know that they're not doing that just to right. save scum. Exactly. Right. And so there's certain, there's certain things where it's just, it's a losing battle on yeah. a technical term. Yeah. And so you have to just like, let them do it, but don't let, don't make it so attractive to them necessarily, or let them get all the benefits of it, but don't let that ruin your intention yeah. of delivering an interesting or multifaceted experience. Yeah. I like that. And I, I like that example specifically too, because like that's kind of how I'm treating Baldur's Gate 3. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, there's so much crap in that game that like if I kill a person, I'm still going to miss out on content regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like I'm okay with like losing out on whatever this person. But you have to have some discipline to do that, right? Well, yeah. And I I well, that's it, a burden I don't I don't love when players have that burden then. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, that's fair. It's that's like, fair. Like I have to I have to I have to I have to withhold my tendency because it will it'll be less stressful if I just sit tight and that's a constant low level stress. Yeah, you know. It depends on the person. For me, I'm like, okay, well I killed the guy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I understand. <laughs> in in the game, it's different, I suppose, because it's a game. Mm-hmm. Like, and I and I can just accept that it's a game, and like the person I'm controlling isn't me. Yeah. That's how I play games. Too. And that person you killed, like, they probably don't have a family. <laughs> well, maybe they do, and then I learn about that later. I'm like, oh, oops. Uh, <laughs> well, I regret it now, but I did it. Um, but like, Your I don't honor. know. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> yeah yeah i guess there's yeah i i guess i i agree to some extent that like we shouldn't necessarily be burdening the players with the 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 honor of not saves coming but i guess i don't know i i think it limits the way the 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 kinds of stories you can tell as a result which isn't necessarily true yeah yeah but it's just it's that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing i guess but like it it's limiting yeah in ways that is frustrating I'll tell you the two times that I use it. Yeah. Um, one is curiosity. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to what I missed. I'll do that too. And yeah. um, a lot of times I will then just do it again and go back to the original choice. Yep. I do just want to flip to the other page of the choose your own adventure. Yeah. I don't necessarily want to get out of a dead end or something. Yep. The other time I do it is like gambling games, like in, ah. in mini games. Sure. Like when you take that flint to that, that Goron who eats it uh-huh. in, in Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. And it's like, it's so rare that you're going to chant. I'm like, I will just save right now. I I do not care about this randomness system. I will yeah. just do this until I get a hit. Yeah. I'm I 
I'm not amused <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. by this slot machine. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. just please give me the rare flint or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, I'll, I'll do that unashamedly, yeah. I think. The times when I save scum is when I feel like the game is being unfair. And I guess yeah. that's really in the instances when I'm very frustrated with how the game is treating my experience at this right. moment. And I'll be like, no, I'm going to take some agency back. <laughs> 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 and I'm going to reload this, dang it. Yeah. Um, um, and in those instances, I think that's when I like to that's when i will save scum but i do try to i do tend to like not do that mostly because like i like the permanence of the decisions that i make a lot of the time cool. mm-hmm. um but like, i mean i mean also in baldur's gate 3 there's the possibility of a party wipe in which case you literally that's the end of your game mm-hmm. but i don't want to i don't want the game to end so like i will reload a save to see if i can do this encounter better or something hey, man. total party kill it happens yeah that does happen <laughs> in case, character. Yeah, yeah i mean i could do that there's yeah. actually, I don't know if there's a permanent permadeath mode in Baldur's Gate 3, but that'd be hmm. interesting. I would not do it, I guess. It's too permanent for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shepard. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Rex. <laughs> Shepard. <laughs> Goodness. That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on social media at Nice Games Club, where deal posts about game dev resources and automation station. Reply on the various platforms or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff, including those ad-free episodes. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be talking mega games with Trenton Greyoak. But that's it for this week. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Uh, I'd like to reload that conversation. No, it's terrible. I'm not going to use that as a transition. <laughs> Cut that out. Okay. Um, can I? Yes. Can I do it? Go ahead. Steven. Yes. What is skate? What? Nope. <laughs> uh, Dale, um, cut a lot of this out. Yes. <laughs> I know you're going to want to keep it in because uh-huh. I think you like when we're being silly. Yeah.